tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, St. James Ghost, Ghostly Attraction, Where Is She Now, and Calling Dr. Fraud. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Well, Crystal, we're in week whatever of lockdown. Um, yeah, you're you, you're an essential worker, though. You still have to go to work. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I actually do go. Uh, still have work, and I physically have to go to my workplace. Um, Interesting note, early on in my first week or two, my immediate supervisor, she had said something about mentioning that I, because in my interview, I mentioned podcasting. Oh, really? Yeah. Why would you ever tell anyone that this exists? Uh, Just because (laughs) a component of my job involves answering phones and engaging dialogue, so... Oh, okay. Well, then that makes yeah sense. Exactly. Um, and she had mentioned mentioning it to like uh, in the sort of the main office of the entire building. There's uh, you know there's an office section with like administrative staff, and I guess she had mentioned mentioning it to someone who works there, and then relaying to me that that person had out of curiosity downloaded a couple of our episodes and listened to them oh no yeah that that immediately had me wondering like is there anything in the several year long run of our program now that i need to retroactively be worried about um but i don't think so no i mean we've we've kept uh our podcasts ostensibly apolitical well i mean so our, well the, yeah there's that of course and uh and uh you don't curse as much as i do no nah, that's true and i mean there's only one thing i can think of that might be a little spicy but we kind of danced around it yeah yeah we, when you got sent uh that picture oh man that's a, it was a very complimentary picture um yeah. But yeah, it's uh, I think I think for the most part we're fine. I mean, honestly, my life just sort of consists of sitting around, staring out the window and banging around on the internet looking up videos <laughs> about OTV series openings. So I guess, you know, there's Yeah. That's that's basically yeah. been what I've talked about so far uh, in our, our couple of years doing that. So I don't think we have too much to worry about. But maybe that will change when I bring up this topic, because yesterday you and I uh, discussed on Twitter the topic of um, arrangement of dishes in a dishwasher. We yes, we jumped in uh, someone's mentions to to hammer this out. (laughs) Yes, Um, I I removed that person from the conversation because I know he doesn't give a shit. (laughs) And would be annoyed. Uh, um, yes. So basically, I think you and I, we came to the conclusion that we're basically on the same page. Uh, I mean, your mo- your MO in mm-hmm. terms of dishwasher arrangement 
is you try to maximize the you know how many dishes you can get in there and get clean so to save energy, right? Right. Right. So I'm not just, you know, I'm not just jamming it all in there because there needs to be the surface area of the dish needs to be exposed to the jets of the water. So it's not just like some crazy stack of getting the most in there. It's like really a game of Tetris every time, mm-hmm. which is to say I don't really have a a method. So the top rack can contain anything from Tupperware to large utensils to glasses to small bowls. The bottom rack can also have glasses. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I really don't have a preference in that way. But what bothers me is when it gets run and it's like a third empty. Ah, yes. Yes, I see. Basically, my distribution is similar to yours. Like, I mean, it's sort of to make the most efficient use of space. Like, obviously, in the top rack... Yeah, glasses and mugs and whatnot, because the, you know, you can stack, if you put them together, it's easier to just, like, line them up in neat rows, and, yeah, like you say, larger utensils, you throw that on the the top rack as well, and then Tupperware, and so forth, and then bottom rack, dishes, um, and then have them aligned so that, yeah, the dirty part is facing the water, um, and in, in neat rows, and then you know if you have excess room, uh, then yeah, you you, you it's okay to put, start putting like glasses and stuff down in like the corner that's not being used. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm sure, but it's it's maddening when people like have no rhyme or reason. It's just like a dish, and oh, I'll, put, I'll start putting some glasses there, and then uh, this mm-hmm. and that, and yeah, yeah, whatever. But there's, when I was looking up pictures of dishwashers yesterday, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I actually Googled people's dishwashers. Uh, th- here's the one question I have to ask. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know how there's usually a compartment that you put silverware into? Yeah. Do you put... Um, I'm not sure what the technical term is. the the use The usage part, like the 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 prongs on the fork, the actual spoon of the spoon, mm-hmm. the blade of the knife. Do you put mm-hmm. those down in? Do you put the silverware in so that those are at the mm-hmm. bottom, or sticking up, uh, facing <clears throat> outward, uh, uh, going up, so that like. Um. I would say, without looking at our dishwasher right now, I'm probably putting them with the usage part down. With the reason being was when I when they get clean, I go to grab them out and put them away. I don't want to be grabbing the top of a knife or something. I just want to grab the. Yes, I am so glad you answered that way, Crystal. This this could this could have been the (laughs) this could have been the question that ripped rump right apart. Oh my god! I didn't know the stakes were so high. <laughs> I didn't want you to make you nervous uh, 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 by by revealing that. But yes. Oh my god! Cause, well, because I mean, yeah, I I put the usage part down because when I empty mm-hmm. the dishwasher, I do not want to be grabbing the parts of the silverware that go into my mouth. Yeah. And yeah, there's that too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do not and. 
in, in the course of being at other people's houses, I'd say, uh-huh. and this is entirely anecdotal, so who knows what the, the actual breakdown is, but in my own personal encounters, it seems like about 50% of the people I know put it usage end up. And I'm just like, why? Wow. Why? Like... Huh. You're you're not grabbing those by the you know the the blade or the prongs or the actual spoon. They're like no 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 I I I don't grab it by that. I just they 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 basically just reach down and grab the like half inch of handle part of the silverware that's exposed uh-huh. and pull it up. I'm like why 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 create that like. That amount of effort where you have to like grab onto a precise location. If you just put it, use yeah. If you put it usage down, and what I like to do is I put uh-huh. usage down, and then like each compartment has just one type of silverware. Uh-huh. So all the forks go in yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen that done. All the spoons, and then that yeah. way, when I when it's time to empty the dishwasher, I can just grab a huge handful at one time. And boom, Mm -hmm. all the spoons are put away. Grab another, boom, all the forks are put away. I I do not understand, but I thank you. I just I I had a feeling that we were on the same wavelength here, and I just like the (laughs) the the confirmation that that is the case. Yeah, I I I I tend to think of it more of just I don't want to accidentally grab a knife. By the knife part. That's that's also a very myself. valid thing, especially like I've seen people put like the really sharp knives uh, in like that. Like why? Well, okay, well, first of all, you shouldn't be putting your really sharp knives in the dishwasher. <laughs> that's a whole. Uh, there is one rule that everyone who has ever lived with me My- has been, and I'm pretty relaxed. But this is one I will not be relaxed about. Is I show them my chef's knives. I have a I have a shoon pairing knife, and I have some other ones that were like hand hammered in Japan that my mom gave to me a long time ago. And I do my best to keep them sharp. Mm-hmm. I have a whetstone and everything. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So the so the people I live with, whoever it is I'm living with, is shown these knives, and I say the one rule is these knives are never to go in the dishwasher. And then they go. I understand because I am holding knives at them <laughs> when they make that agreement. Um, but th- all that said, sometimes I forget my pairing. Kni- I all toss my pairing knife in the dishwasher and then it comes out and it's like the blade is chipped. And then I'm like, God damn it. Oh, I'm so- and I'm usually the one that ends up breaking my own rule. So, yeah, but don't put your sh- don't stop it. Don't put your sharp knives in the dishwasher. Don't wash them by hand. What are you doing? Oh, that's so bothersome. <laughs> I mean, your cheap ass steak knives or whatever. Yeah. That you got at Costco. Do whatever with those. But I'm saying if you have actual like nice chef's knives, don't the, don't do that. They require some pers- don't do it. personal customized attention. Yeah, they really do. Wash them by hand. What are you doing? Um, so this has been uh, <laughs> uh an ap- an episode of Reenacted. <laughs> and <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, <laughs> so, Robbie, we actually have a, a pretty pretty interesting episode here. Yes, in our last the ep- do you want to talk about ghosts? 
I do. Uh, this was this was a uh-huh. this was meant to be a Halloween episode, right? When it originally aired. That's correct. And, yep. and it does have it has two ghost segments. And at first, I was kind of irked that it wasn't an entirely all ghost thing. I felt like this is kind of, was kind of a um, cheaply uh, not cheaply, but uh, sort of cobbled together way of passing it off as a Halloween episode. But I think we got we yeah. got we got four solid segments here at the very least. So oh, for sure, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this it's yeah. a good episode, and yeah, our first segment is about the St. James Hotel in New Mexico. In uh, Cimarron, New Mexico. I looked it up. In Cimarron, yes. Um, Didn't we we have, in our last episode, or the one before that, wasn't there some place called Cimarron that we... Uh, Maybe? Okay, I guess maybe I'm just imagining that. I feel like that name is, like, I've crossed paths with it recently in the last few weeks anyway hmm. the st james was a hotel built in the 1880s and we get we pick up the story of a couple ed and patricia sitzberger Slitzberger, berger sure ed and pat they bought the St. James yeah. in the 1980s to restore it and, you know, operate it as a hotel. Um, mm-hmm. And we get treated to a variety of ghostly depictions. Uh, it starts out with a pretty standard thing, which is there's this shen- chandelier light that mm-hmm. uh, Pat is turning off as she's leaving, leaving. But it gets, it keeps turning on again. And she, of course, assumed that this is some sort of electrical issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, very quickly, we, we, we are treated to the idea that this is, in fact, supernatural interference. Um, we get some of the standard stuff, like they show a kitchen scene where a chef sees a, um, was it a, a vase? No, it couldn't have been a vase. Why would a vase be in the kitchen? A pitcher? No, it was a. It was like a drinking glass. Okay, really. That was a big damn drinking glass. I think it was just the perspective that it was. Am I thinking of the right thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess you're you're right. Maybe it was just so much closer to the screen. I forgot you have all that photography background, so. You, you understand <laughs> well you know and just using my eyes <laughs> um yeah so we get we get treated to a thing of seeing that slide a little bit across say a counter um then there was a we had a, a young it was like a high, local high school student named charlie who was work, yep. working part-time in the cleaning up the bar at at, at night and he sees this like little kid on the counter, and in the reenactment, he's like, "Hey, kid, what you doing there?" And the kid turns, and Charlie describes it as like having what was how did he describe the face? Not horrific, but disgusting. Really, he said it was like really disgusting and ugly. Yeah. Um. 
And I, you know, I've, I, I rewatched this a few times because what they do is the little kid they have in the reenactment, they, they're shining a blue light on his face to make mm-hmm. him look ghostly. And there's something, you know, his face definitely looks a little odd. I couldn't tell. Did they put makeup on or did they do some sort of distortion thing in post-production to kind of like. I think they probably just put some like makeup on him. It looks like half of his face is disfigured. Yeah. Yeah. So you got that. Um, We get a, a depiction of, um, who was it? Was it, uh, Pat? And they brought in a local surgeon named Dr. Kenneth Wright, who is also, was also described as an amateur ghost hunter. Mm-hmm. And as you do, yeah, as you do. I mean, it's better to be, it's better to be a, a <laughs> professional surgeon and amateur ghost hunter as opposed to the other way around. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. Do you think, uh, do you think his, um, when he goes around, circulates around ghost hunting circles, he just introduces himself as Dr. Kenneth Wright and doesn't specify that the doctor is like a medical <laughs> degree. I would want to specify that it's a medical degree because otherwise then what is it? Like, what do you have a doctorate of if you're ghost hunting? Well, uh, like an actual doctorate, not, not you know, the school of mystics doctorate and. <laughs> telekinesis and ghost hunting you know like well uh what in ghostbusters what what were their degrees in mr venkman well i have phds in parapsychology and psychology we've we've already started talking about ghostbusters i i sort of took us off the rails but uh in the reenactment patricia brings dr wright to there there's like a specific room that has uh was it room 18 has a lot of activity going on they open the door, and in the corner, there's this ball of light, sort of uh, pulsating white with, uh, what, a little bit of reddish-orange color? Yeah, it's a, it's a glowing, rotating orb. Yes. Uh, a real orb, not just, like, camera uh, light. Yeah, not camera dust. Yeah. <laughs> this is, like, a real glowing, pulsating yeah. orb. And... They, they they watch it for a few moments, and then in the reenactment, Patricia's like, "Hey, you know, you you don't have to stay here. You're free to go." And I guess the the orb uh, seems to react in anger at that. It it flies at them really quickly, stops in front of Doctor Wright, and it goes up and down in front of him and returns back to the corner. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what your interpretation of that is, but my interpretation of that is basically that was the ghost equivalent of, like, if you walk up to some real close to someone and then you, like, look them up and down, like, you know, like you're mm-hmm. measuring them up. That's what yeah, I felt. felt yeah, that's yeah. what I felt. I, I liked I prefer to believe that that ghost was engaged in that activity. Definitely. Um, did yeah. we mention that the kid before that was vacuuming the dining room in the restaurant that he he quit after? Oh yeah, yeah. He, I'm sorry that <laughs> I should have mentioned that. That's that that is a a point. He did quit uh, immediately he was, afterwards. He was, 
he noped out of there so fast in the reenactment. He like knocked chairs over and then he quit the next day. He was like, no. Would, would, no. Yeah. Now, if you if you found yourself in that circumstance, Crystal, would you uh-huh. have quit? Um, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> if I'm if I'm a high school student, ostensibly, I'm probably not supporting a family on that. Li- likely. So. Yeah. Yeah. Odds are I a lot would, of that. Uh, yeah. I'd get the hell out of there. Yeah, I'm probably not going back to work after that one. That's interesting. I I was un- when I asked that question, I was unsure because I was like, in my mind, I, 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 I picture you being like, eh, that kid could have been anything. <laughs> I don't know. Like the way that at least it was in the reenactment, it was pretty spooky. Like, oh, it was. This this was a these these were some quality ghost depictions in this reenactment. Yeah. Um, even even if they're not necessarily particularly expensively done, I mean, this is just a kid with a blue light shined on him. But it was it was done well. It was very effective. Um, well, the kid was also like spinning a glass on the bar, which is a pretty creepy thing to do. As well. Uh, yes. Yes. After the doctor, though, they bring in yet another psychic investigator. Jackie Little John. Yeah. And um I'm interested I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, um when I listen to her voice and her talking and yeah. describing stuff, it did especially when she started out, it did seem pretty boilerplate like psychic description of things, like yeah. You know, there's a uh, energy and da da da. And it, uh, it was kind of neat when they when she described like looking into room 18 because she said that she saw a poker game being played. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, I guess what happens is the spirit that was in 18 he won, and then as he was leaving the the room and walking down the hallway, someone shot him, and he subsequently died from the wound. Um, but like. The thing that had me really sort of narrowing my eyes is Jackie said that she sensed that this this game potentially was, you know, like the hotel was up for stakes or a gigantic like herd of cattle. And mm. I'm like, that's when I was like, how do you know that? I mean, is it just like you, you you're seeing them playing and they seem really tense or or what? Is it just like was there a lot? I don't remember seeing there seeing a big pile of chips on the table or anything. You know, um, I, I, I mean, tread very lightly with this. So Jackie yeah. Littlejohn is, um, I don't know. I don't know if folks on the out in the East coast of the United States or beyond the United States have encountered this particular type of individual, but Robbie, you may have, um, growing up. I certainly mm-hmm. have uh, just by product of living, you know, in the American West, Southwest area. Is there is a very particular kind of white person who uh, really embraces <laughs> uh, sort of like this performative uh, Native American look. Mm-hmm. And um, Jackie Littlejohn is uh, she's got, you know, obviously dyed black hair with like two braids and she's got, you know, like little baskets woven into her braids. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if 
I don't remember. Is there turquoise jewelry with her as well? Because that would. Uh, probably just I did, it didn't really distinctly stand no, out. No, she's me got. If there was. She's got a uh, Native American bead necklace on. Here's the thing. I was like. Give me a fucking break, Jackie. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> um, and so I looked her up and she she passed away several years ago, but I guess she's like allegedly like a quarter Cherokee or something. Okay. And um, I, you know, I, th- I just, my personal opinion is anything less than half, you need to not do the braids and the baskets. <laughs> and the, you're really like going into not only appropriation territory, but sort of like a weird indian minstrelsy situation (laughs) and uh i you know but it's like it was like a it was some weird thing that was going on in the 70s 80s and early 90s where there are these ostensibly white people like really taking on this like mysticism and persona i mean i've had anthropology professors that were like getting (laughs) way too hard into the turquoise and it's like okay you know you're crossing a line here that's all i have to say about that like there's a a level of taste that needs to be observed what do you think the odds were that she had watched poltergeist 2 and that kind of like kicked off her interest in being a native american psychic well i i don't i because i looked her up so i'm sorry i'm bringing in inside or outside information to the pod which we try not to do it's fine it's 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 really she she actually allegedly like she was a like a local flavor and she was on a radio program pretty regularly mm-hmm. um having to do with like mysticism and stuff so apparently she le- learned her mystical ways from her uh Cherokee grandmother who was also like some kind of mystic healer person allegedly okay. that's what she said okay that's what she told her daughter anyway yeah all right so I don't know. I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like she's she's crossed the line with her look. That's yeah. You know, the baskets were really distracting. Also, I want to say this. Like even in the 1980s, like people of full Native American ancestry weren't walking around like with braids and baskets in their hair. No. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Like it's really like, over the top. <laughs> it was. It was. It was distracting. Absolutely. And it's also like this idea that like in the 80s, like and early 90s, like Native Americans in the United States weren't also abused by perms in their hair (laughs) and big glasses. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's not like they're immune from all the same bad trends everyone else got caught up in. The 80s hit everyone hard. They sure did. They sure yeah. did. Anyway, I'm I'm sorry. I I, I was really no no. It's it's, on, it's relevant. I was kind of tip, very much tiptoeing around it because I didn't. I I I would. I just didn't want to say the wrong things. <laughs> well, I hope I didn't say the wrong things, but I I feel pretty confident that her look was a a bit much. <laughs> So, <laughs> so at the end of the segment, they have a, a, a pretty fun thing where, you know, they, they're talking about the whole t- stacks talking about the hotel. And 
Unsolved Mysteries basically frames a challenge to us in a way. At least this is how I mm-hmm. I I took it. Where he's like Robert Sack is like, and uh, if you and if you have a better idea about what's going on, the owners of the St. James would sure like to hear it. Well, I mean, he didn't say it quite like that, but that's kind of how I felt felt like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, do you have a better idea? Um, you know, living living in northern Nevada and in close proximity to Virginia City, we hear all about all these haunted hotels and stuff. Um, all I can say, Crystal, is I've never seen a ghost. Okay. I, I, uh... Yeah, I... Uh, where I land on this one is just kind of like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I don't really have like a strong. I, the thing with the lights had had to have been an electrical problem, but everything else, I I don't know. Like the kid saw what he saw, and he believed it enough that it made him quit. Right, you right. know. So who am I to say that he's? Yeah, wrong? I mean, my initial like feeling is to be skeptical, but if I was asked to work the graveyard shift cleaning up the bar, I I might I might have second thoughts about accepting that position. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, because you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I'm not a believer, but I'm close enough adjacent that if, when it comes to dark basements in the middle of the night and stuff, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer, but I'm, uh, I'm, I, there's just some lines I'm not going to cross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh I'm with you there. So, uh, Robbie, that really brings us to um ghost story number 2. Ghost story number 2. Tell us about either John Harden or June Ferris, depending on how you want to start out this story cuz we got kind of a, a sort of um two strands that get yeah there's layers yeah yeah Yeah, there's layers so well i guess i'll go in the the order that unsolved mysteries does it Mm -hmm. which is um if i can recall there is a there is a woman uh her name is hold on I'm not looking at the wiki you you're looking at the wiki her name's june ferris Mm -hmm. and um He, she, she, Jesus. <laughs> you did watch the episode, um, right? <laughs> I did. I watched it twice. I watched this it twice. The, I'm this just was, having a, having this a was the segment you wanted to talk about. <laughs> I know. I do want to talk about it. I want to talk about it so bad. Uh, okay. So a Richmond, Virginia woman, June Ferris. Uh, so where Unsolved Mysteries opens is that there's this woman who's having these dreams about being in this house. Yeah. And the dreams kind of uh, take her out to the front porch over and over again. It seems like it's kind of like a, a recurring dream with some variation. Um, there's like, a, this is an old Victorian house she's having a dream about. And so as such, there's two staircases. Mm-hmm. There's And so when they, when they do the reenactment of her touring the house later on, there's something called a back staircase. And it looks kind of, it goes, drops into the kitchen and it kind of looks like it would be like a servant's. Yeah. 
staircase. From I, think back that, in the day. I think that conjecture is uh, correct. So this is so this is happening in what 1968. She's having these dreams. She's having them reoccurring. Finally, um, in 1972, June and her family moved to uh, Florida. And I, I guess it's Claremont, Florida. Uh, in 1974, so this is six or seven years after she's having these dreams, she notices an old Victorian house. Uh, a few weeks later, she goes inside it with a friend. And, of course, she, like, recognizes the entire interior and as if she had been there before. Um, when she gets back to that kitchen staircase she realizes it was the house from her dreams so i assume that the house was for sale at some point later uh because june and her family moved into the house so i'm saying that because i assume they weren't like squatting right right they just like bought the house as as we'll as we'll find out why the house may have been for sale in in a minute here um and then they start so like some really weird stuff starts happening there's part of the reenactment is um their their teen daughter Robin is outside, or I'm sorry, not her teen daughter, <laughs> just her daughter Robin, <laughs> uh, is is outside when they were unpacking the house from the um from the moving truck and like they have a like a lake boat that's on a boat mm-hmm. hitch and a couple of times and the way they reenacted it was pretty cool because it just looks like an invisible hand is picking up the boat hitch and moving it off the stand so it keeps getting moved convincingly done yeah uh and i don't know how difficult i really don't know how difficult it is to do that i assume it's the job of one person but i like if i were to move could i move a hitch off a stand I'm not, boat? could i do that i don't yeah, really you know. know it feels like my experience with hitches is like Sometimes I've been able to lift things up that seem like I wouldn't be able to and move them around easily enough. Mm-hmm. And then other times, just like, oh, God, this is heavy. This is, like, going to require six or eight or 15,000 people to, to move. Yeah, so I don't I don't know how difficult of a task it would be for just a, a person with a body to <laughs> move it off the stand. But a person without a body... Yeah, seems to be doing it pretty, pretty easily. Uh, so then more strange stuff starts happening. Um, it's a big house. So her, so the same daughter, Robin, and her son-in-law, David, uh, not Robin's son-in-law, June's son-in-law. Yeah. Uh, David, uh, you know, they're at sleep and then they hear from another room, like sounds of a music box playing. Um, oh, man. Yeah, this was creepy, dude. Like, all of the music boxes were going off at the same this, time. This has got to be... I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is in the top ten of spookiest Unsolved Mysteries ghost moments. Um, I kind of feel like naturally with any sort of movie or media, when you when you introduce music boxes in, they go, they go with ghost... Hand and glove. Would you say that there's something inherently spooky about music boxes? I would say that of all the things that you could have in your life, you know, all sorts of objects from household appliances to furniture to automobiles to everything, music boxes are probably 
right near the top for being conduits for harnessing and projecting supernatural energy. I think there's something to it as well with it being just sort of a... Like, it can only play one note at a time because so just having that singular note one after another there's there's a mm-hmm. creepy simplicity to the music i think that a music box produces but certainly having yes. like the all of the like a orchestra of them playing basically is extra creepy <laughs> and sort of discordant and yes. um so yeah that was that was really creepy i had a music box that was sort of it was like a child's I think I still have it. It was like a child's little jewelry box. Um, mm-hmm. and it had a little ballerina that you could wind up and play. But like even as a kid, I was like, no, this is upsetting. <laughs> I um I'd say that's an understandable reaction. Uh yeah, music boxes, just don't mess with them. Yeah, don't 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 touch them. Don't wind them up. Just don't have them. How about that? Uh okay, so <laughs> I was just going to ask, what do you think is more dangerous to have? A music box or a Ouija board? Music box. Solid answer. Uh, Ouija boards Solid are um, made by like Milton Bradley or whatever. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with them. <laughs> Fair enough. You got to remember the timeline. So June starts having these dreams in 1968. Mm-hmm. 1972, they moved to Florida. Uh, 1974, they they go through the house, and June recognizes it from her dreams. 1978 is when they move in. So now we're in 1985. Okay. So they so Lori and Bob are watching TV. They hear the back door slam. Then they hear the sounds of heavy male footsteps walking behind them. Uh, of course, Bob got up to look. No one was there. Um, so at this point, the Ferris family is convinced that the house is haunted. Uh, they didn't actually see anything, though, until one day Robin was going upstairs and she felt like that chill, which a lot of people talk about when they see a ghost is feeling very cold. Um, then she saw a ghost uh-huh. of a man in his 30s walking down the stairs. And the reenactment, though, it, like basically walks right through her <laughs> down the stairs. It's really <laughs> spooky. Um, yeah. And then Bob, Lori's boyfriend, is going into the attic to get some paint or whatever. And he encounters a vapor type spirit that uh, shot at him. So that actually went through him as well, I think. So they're all possessed yes. now, and then they killed each other at the end. No, that's not what happened. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so so finally, someone starts doing some research. So it's Bob, it's Lori's boyfriend, who starts researching the house and learns about this guy named John Harden. And um, what had happened with John Harden is that in the 1970s, John was living there. Uh and he had moved in there with his second wife and infant child. At some point in the middle of the night, he smelled smoke. Um, he ran down that back staircase through the kitchen to find his truck on fire in the driveway. And then he was shot in the driveway. And so they never caught the person who uh, shot John Harden. And then uh, obviously the house went up for sale. And then the the Ferris family bought it. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, uh, one of the things that John's first wife mentions is that he was a very doting and loving father. And 
at this mm-hmm. point in the reenactment, uh, June Ferris talks about how one of her grandchildren was asleep in the in a room and had woken up to this man, the man that I think it was uh, Robin had seen, probably the same guy, was standing at the end of the bed. And of course, yeah. the grandchild got like a terrible fright and was screaming for his mom, <clears throat> as, as any of us have and would do at that site. Almost certainly. I know I would be screaming. <clears throat> well, I mean, I don't. if anyone remembers the uh, Halloween episode that we did way back in season one, remember anyone? It was the Halloween minisode. And I read a story where we talked about seeing ghosts or something like that. Maybe it wasn't the Halloween episode. Maybe this is just another off. It was the Halloween mini-sode we did where I ate a bunch of candy and started to feel yeah, sick. Yeah, but that was a different story I think I told oh. was about being at work. Yeah. But this specifically reminded me, and I may have mentioned it on another episode, this specifically reminded me of the time when I was in my first apartment in Sacramento. Yeah. And it was an old Victorian. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of, an, of the night to see a little old woman standing at the end of my bed. <gasps> wait, and, wait, she, and, she was yes. standing by your bed. <clears throat> was she standing at the end of it? At the end of it, but standing, looking at you? Yeah. Okay, I... I Did I never tell you this? No, you told me this story, but I guess I'd misremembered it that you had woken up and you'd just seen the ghost walking through your, your room out, out, out the window into the balcony or something well that was the that was later and that was the tall woman but the first thing that i saw was this little like granny with you know with a shawl and a bun in her hair she was very short very tiny standing standing at the end of my bed watching me sleep okay and i was an adult when this happened and i screamed so loud (laughs) (laughs) when i saw this happen so I yeah, I mean, you see you see someone standing at the end of your bed that you don't recognize or know. It's pretty scary. Even even if and as the Ferris family feels and as uh, who knows what the Hardens family take is on this. But the Ferris family feels like whoever this ghost is is a friendly ghost. Yeah. And so June Ferris had to have a conversation with her house and basically say you got to leave my grandkids alone. That really scared them. And then it never happened again. Um, but yeah, the idea from John's first, John Harden's first wife is that like, he was just a very loving father and he would always be checking on his kids. And so it's interesting how you're, you're talking with both the family who's experiencing the ghost. And then you actually talk with the people right. who knew the person who yeah. was the ghost. Who's the? That's why I really was fascinated by the segment. Cause rarely do you, cause like you can't, the St. James hotel, it's not like you can go, you know, ask Wyatt Earp family like <laughs> like you know what i mean it's like this is a really direct connection where you have a situation um where where both families are intact and able to give some kind of account of of john while he was alive and and i guess now john while he's haunting the ferris house has has the harden family ever visited that house and subsequently um I mean, I, I know I know they yeah. don't really talk about that in the segment, but wouldn't that be, in my mind, like his um, his second wife, the 
she was the one he was married to when he got killed, right? Yeah, they don't interview the second wife. They interview the first wife. Okay. Well, in my mind, whoever yeah. it is who loves him should be, like, going to yeah. the, the house and trying to, like, you know, reach out and be able to communicate with them. I mean, maybe he, he possesses, you know, June's body like they do in the movie Ghost, and they can do a dance right. and together and, yeah. you know, um, something, <laughs> something like that. I, I just... It just, it feels to me, it's just so, I mean, it'd be so strange to, like, have someone you care about and love, and, like, this totally, this family you, you never met before is, like, your loved one is haunting our house. It's, like, that's, it just opens up so many possibilities that I, uh, I feel, I mean, it's not the fault of the people making this segment, or, and I, I don't want to say it's the fault of the, all all families involved. It just seems like this is a, a missed opportunity for something. Well, according to the wiki, like it doesn't say anything about Rita Hardin or his second wife going back to the house. There's never been a professional investigation. Although uh, Robert Stack mentions at the end of the segment, a bunch of strange things happened mm -hmm. while they were taping. The, the show's crew was taping at the Hardin house. Yeah. Uh, um, in yeah, something with the lighting or something. The lighting. There were uh, other sorts of electrical stuff going on. Was it doors closing or opening and all this other jazz? And he's describing yeah. all this, and I'm just sitting there thinking, "Wow, that all sounds amazing." It's a shame he didn't have any camera equipment you could have recorded this with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately that we end because we still don't, we don't know, um, what happened to John Harden. We don't know who killed him. Yeah. We just know that he was killed, I guess. Then, uh, 1991, the Ferris's sold the house to a family called the Hatleys and the Hatleys also reported strange activity as well. Okay. Uh, and I guess I guess the activity stopped ostensibly in 1992. Mm, mm. So, so, so yeah, it was three families having a weird time in this house. Weird times indeed. So, uh, Robbie, yeah. that's it for ghosts. Yeah, let's talk about real life stuff. <laughs> what we got for our final segment. I love segments that involve criminals that have nicknames. And so what we have is a segment about Dr. Fraud. Paging Dr. Fraud. Initially, the first sort of description we get of him is when he's going around calling himself Dr. John Anderson. Yeah. Since this this is stuff that's happening in the 80s, I had the feeling that this is a case of obviously this guy was trying to manipulate people based off the positive feelings that so many Americans had for John Anderson, independent candidate for president in 1980. Wait, really? I think so. I mean, uh John I mean John Anderson, he was he was a phenomenon, Crystal. I mean, there's even a Simpsons reference to him. 
Oh my god. It's one of the episodes of The Simpsons um, that take place, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe Bart is an infant or something. Mm-hmm. Or, or, but Homer's describing the the uh, early 80s. And, you know, all the stuff that was going on and the music and da-da-da. And how everyone was excited by and, and inspired by the idealistic presidential campaign of U.S. Representative John Anderson from Illinois. Wow. He ran, he ran initially in the Republican primaries, but then ran as an independent in 1980. I think he got like 5% of the vote. So not not a bad haul for independent Are you candidate. suggesting that Dr. Fraud... No, no, no! I, please, 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 uh, please, please don't, 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 don't misinterpret me as suggesting that Doctor Fraud ran for president. Although that would be amazing. What would it be that he ran? He ran for president in the guise of trying to get yet more gold from people. Because <laughs> I mean that—that's the thing is. Um, as, as they show in the, uh, throughout the segment, because we get like two or three depictions of him fleecing gold out of people, and he pretends to be a doctor, and obviously that's I, I'm I'm as most of his aliases have been as doctors, and I'm assuming that's because for a lot of people a doctor is you know someone that you put some trust into, mm-hmm. and so you're you're conflating it with that. So I mean. I guess I could see if if Dr. Fraud thought he could get away with posing as the John Anderson 1980, 1980 presidential candidate, uh, he might uh, he would do it if he thought he could get away with it. But yes, uh, do- Dr. Fraud, he's a con artist who basically swindles uh, gold coins and jewelry out of people. They have a, a depiction of his usual sort of um operation where he goes in he meets a coin dealer uh he expresses interest in buying some gold coins i um i think typically like what he'll do is he'll buy make small purchases over a number of small purchases over a period of time probably to sort of develop this idea that he is a consistent and honest customer Mm mm-hmm and in the first reenactment, he he tells Mr. Mike Wills, the coin dealer, that look, uh, my physician, my physician's investment group uh, wants to buy thirty thousand dollars of gold coins. So he invites Mr. Willis to come meet him at the hospital where the investment group's going to be meeting. Uh, they they meet, they shake hands, you know, they're talking about. He he leads him, you know, down the hallways. He's wearing a medical coat, so I mean, he seems like he he looks like you know he's dressed like a doctor. <clears throat> they get into an elevator, and uh, Mr. Wills describes how like he noted that like when they were in the, ho- the elevator with two other doctors, the two other do- doctors didn't talk with Doctor Fraud. Hmm. But when they were leaving the elevator, Dr. Fraud was like, see you guys later. So, you know, he's like, oh, okay, he knows them. And they go into, they're on a floor that doesn't have very many people at the the, the time, because it's early in the a.m. 
they go into an office. The guy shows them, you know, all the gold. You know, Doctor Doctor Anderson is 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 very pleased. He's like, let me go put this into the safe. Uh, uh, I'll keep it in there during the the run of the investors group, and I'll come back right down with uh, your your check. Che- come back right with your check. And so Mr. Wills is sitting in that office, that doctor's office for like five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And he progressively starts to have that sinking in feeling that he has been, that he has been duped. And so Shit. they depict him. I hate yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they depict him finally. Like he just gets up, leaves the, the, the exam room goes and talks with a nurse or a receptionist at a counter that, I mean, there's more people in the hospital now and he's asking about Dr. Anderson, but there is no Dr. Anderson who works at that hospital. Spooky. (laughs) Hey, maybe this was a ghost segment. I just didn't realize. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's basically Dr. Fraud. He engages in this sort of activity. We get another reenactment where he's been progressively buying stuff from a coin uh, coin dealer under the uh, I think in New York. And he wanted to make an order for like $45,000 of gold, gold coins. Um but like the coin, the coin, that coin dealer was like, he wanted to see, you know, he wanted the money up front mm-hmm. and you, you have this in the reenactment, the, the guy who's playing Dr. Fraud, who I don't know about you, but to me, he kind of reminded me a bit of the guy who played Roy on wings. Sure. Yeah. You remember you, you remember wings, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. With the, <laughs> yeah. the airport. <laughs> okay well that's that's most then okay uh most people wouldn't even <laughs> i know tony shalhoub was involved don't don't ask anything more of me when it comes to wings <laughs> yeah okay uh so he i'll get he on in. it i'll rectify the situation i'm sorry robbie <laughs> after you finish marathoning all fraser yeah, well, we started in season six, so so, and now we're in season eight, so we only have like three more seasons to go. Fraser before we start wings. Man, they really squeezed out every bit they could from that show, didn't they? I cannot believe there are eleven seasons of it, and it's so it's going pretty f- downhill pretty fast in season eight. I gotta say, yeah, so. yeah, I kind of feel like I remember season eight being where it kind of took a turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the coin, you know, the the Dr. Fraud is like, what? You don't have my coins for me? And the coin dealer is like, hey, look, just I'll, I'll, I'll order them express. Uh, but I, I need I need the payment up front. What? You don't trust me? So he Dr. Fraud writes him a thirty thousand dollar check and leaves. And of course, it turns out the check is no good. Uh, and we do we get an update. Uh a viewer actually helped identify Dr. Fraud. He, they scooped him up. He was arrested, I think, in the motel room in Virginia, if I recall. And um, he got like sentenced to like multiple counts of grand larceny, served a lot of time in prison. 
think he was released about a decade ago. Um, well, Doctor Fraud. Robbie, does do you have any place that still takes checks? You know, it's so funny when I watch uh, movies or television, and like they depict someone paying for groceries with a check and in a grocery store. I'm like, mm. what? Uh, gosh, when when? Yeah, I I can't <clears throat> imagine that that happens much anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm old enough to remember working at Macy's, and we had the thing to read checks. Oh yeah, you put it, it was, in at that it, point. Yeah, yeah. But that was like oh, fifteen years ago. You know, I think when I worked at Hollywood Video, we did accept checks. We had a thing we ran them through. Do, do yeah? Do they just not accept checks anymore? For I I don't know. I someone hey, you know what? That's a good uh, thing to tell us if you have written a check and. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't bounce uh, and it didn't bounce no if you ah, don't don't do that uh, don't bounce your checks um if you've written a check to pay for something besides rent or utilities like in a store you should tweet at us or write us an email i would like to know um mm-hmm. our uh, email address is reenactedpod at gmail.com we are on twitter at reenacted pod uh what there's the facebook fan page is still going i guess still going still there uh it's a shame you're not on facebook (laughs) it's not i don't miss it my life is better because of it but uh also if you would like to support the podcast in these trying times i know it's a big ask um we have a patreon and we are uh, putting episodes up early there we're gonna put up some eventually I guess when I get to a critical mass of Patreons, I'll release this special episode we've been I've been sitting on uh, here. I don't think that's how Patreon's supposed to work, Crystal. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll get around to it. But anyway, but ostensibly, yeah, we're putting up episodes a bit early there now. So if you want to get reenacted early, that's going on. And um, Robbie, do you have anything else? Uh, no. Okay. Do you want to do the thing? <laughs> For every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. <laughs> <laughs>